The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. We're with Governor Joe Lombardo today. He is the governor, the 20th most popular governor in the United States. How's it feel being the top 20? Was it 20 or 27? 20th. 20th. 57% approval. 20th most I love popular. It. You should. It feels good. I just don't know how comprehensive the poll is. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, but it is good that in the short tenure, seven months, right, um, that people, the word is getting out for what we're trying to achieve here in the state of Nevada. And and what we're trying to achieve for the conservative side of the Republican Party and and the decisions we're making along the way and how we're competing with the state legislature yes. that's in, in the verge of a supermajority and, and, and yet we're still getting work done. So I think people recognize that. That's fantastic. I flew out from Milwaukee this morning and um, I was talking to a gentleman doing my shoe shine. I, he said, I said, who's your favorite politician? Because he knew that there were RNC meetings there. Where were you at? Milwaukee. You were in the airport yeah, in Milwaukee? Yeah. Okay. And I said, who's your favorite politician? Because he was asking a lot of political questions. And he said, Tommy Thompson. And I said, why is that? He goes, I could just trust him. And it seems like something we're facing now is people don't trust their right, elected right. officials anymore. Yeah. So how do you, being truly outnumbered in the legislature, develop this trust not only with the voters of Nevada, but the legislature, so that they know that when I deal with Governor Lombardo, his word means something. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, hopefully part of it and the trust factor is my previous career, right? Being a law enforcement official for 34 years, almost 35 years, and and being the sheriff, the top dog in, in Clark County, Nevada. Uh, you know, we went through a lot of crisis during my tenure and, and our response and leadership and doing what I say I'm going to do and, and actually doing it is a big deal for politicians. You know, it's a, quite often you hear people complain that they say they're going to do stuff, especially on during the campaign periods. Right. And it actually doesn't get done. Right. right. It's just a sound bite to garner votes. And I think it's important that you do exactly what people say. And, and that's what we've done or, or not say, but expect. And that's what we've done in this, our short tenure. And I made that promise on the campaign trail. You know, I'm not going to make these flamboyant statements thinking it's just going to be arbitrary statements to garner votes. Right. You know, an example I'll give you is we had a debate here. There was, I can't believe it, it was either six or seven folks uh, we were vying for the Republican nomination for the governorship. And one of the questions was presented about bringing the National Guard to the border states. Okay. And whether I would support that. And I was the only one dissenter on that question. And the reason being is I know how you use the National Guard. I know the cost of the National Guard and, and its intent. You know, it's for protection of your own uh, borders within your own state. And you have those individuals are tasked with personal jobs. They're usually part-time soldiers and, and they have their careers. And so you can't arbitrarily, willy-nilly make decisions on that kind of resource uh, for something that is, they say it's not in our backyard, right? And people trust that. 
and, and, and you having knowledge of exactly what you're talking about and not just, uh, you know, spitballing. Correct. And, uh, and so they appreciate those, those kind of decisions. But it's, it's all the proof in the pudding, per right. se, right? You know, you do what you say you're going to do, and, and you actually do it. How has it been trying to diversify Nevada's economy? You always hear that is the goal, right? It's always the goal. You have yeah, no income. You have no income tax here, so but it's always the goal. But we know the strip commands a lot of attention. You know what it is? Is well, first and foremost, every governor and every state in the nation in history has always had that in their platform, right? Right. Because that's their job. The governor's job is the economy, the environment, education, right? The economy is diversifying the economy and ensure that you don't have all your eggs in one basket and that you don't suffer in times of crisis. So, unfortunately, but fortunately, you got to take advantage of a crisis. Correct. Right? You can't put your head in the sand and say, I'm going to go away. I hope it goes away. And then you know, deal with the aftermath. But the important thing is take advantage of it when you can. And what I'm alluding to is COVID. So in the state of Nevada, throughout our history, we've survived. Our economic engine has been gambling and entertainment. And we have all those eggs in that one basket. In previous years, you know, we've seen some certain crises, you know, the Great Recession, you know, part of the... Uh, the housing crisis and all that, you know, we suffered because that, you know, it's disposable cash that they use in the state of Nevada. And that's the first to go away during times of economic strife. And so we saw some errors in our economic engine or our profile or our program in the state of Nevada because we were always the first one out and the last one back in, in economic recovery. So when you say your goal is to diversify the economy, it's got to be true. It's got to be accurate. You got to put a concerted effort into it, getting past an election. Now, repeat what I said earlier. Every governor says that as far and as you have to, or right, you're not right. going to win. Right, right. And uh, and that's one of the responsibilities of government is the economy. And so COVID happens, and once again, we're the first out and the last to come back. And what I mean by last to come back is last to recover. And but fortunately. Uh, here last month, we've had a 4% increase overall since the beginning of my tenure in uh, economic numbers, employment numbers. Uh, so that's, that, that's proof that we're getting what we say we're going to do to get it done. So back to your original question, diversifying the economy, we have to expand upon the gambling space. And people realize that now. Now it's not just rhetoric. They're saying, oh, shit, we got to do something uh, to fix this. And, and what I've done in that, you talked about our... There's no, you know, state income tax. Or, or, our sales tax is, is very low. Our modified business tax is low. And every other uh, revenue source that we utilize in small business and big business in the state of Nevada is low across the board. So how can we get track more people? Well, we, now we start getting into tax incentives. You know, Tesla is the perfect example of that. Four to one on return on dollar on investment and return. Um, so people see that, oh, you know, that is a good, viable um, functionality of the economic package that we are able to offer. Every state is offering an economic package. In recent legislative session, we we're talking about film tax credits. Okay. That's a new hot button item in the economy now, film. 
in the film industry in your state. Education drives the economy. Education drives the companies that want to transfer and, and have the labor force available for their companies once they put their roots down. So all that is all part and parcel of what we're trying to achieve. Part of the diversity. Yeah, that's the diversity. School choice. Does so it have a future? Know that, right? Does school choice have a future here? I mean, God, I know I hope teach, it does. teachers unions, they just think like you're asking for the end of the world if you give kids a choice. You know, I got I to gotta be frank with you on that. You're, 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 that's usually an accurate statement. But I, uh, here in Southern Nevada, the Clark County Education Association, which is the teachers union here, they, I've been working hand in hand with them. They are not opposed to school choice. They're not opposed to school choice. Their primary driver is teacher salaries, right? Um, and they can't argue against school choice. For one, it polls in the 70th percentile across the board here in the state of Nevada. And two is our curriculum is bad. I mean, we're continually ranked at the bottom of the barrel in education, uh, availability, environment, and curriculum. Um, so how do you change that? And, and it's been proven across the United States and in, in the, the states that have adopted school choice and the success associated with it. So the union that's not necessarily isn't pushing back against that. Uh, so they're more defined in how we fix the teacher pipeline. So it's a little bit transactional. We, we, yeah, we need higher salaries than well, we're not going to stand in the way of this. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, you know, in the, it's a good thing, right? So now, so what is preventing it from happening here? You're outnumbered in the legislature. Legislature. We bring it back to the legislature. There, there's a mechanism here in the state of Nevada called Opportunity Scholarships. It's a, it's a different form of ESAs, Education Savings Accounts, um, where there's a tax benefit of organizations that participate in the, into the, into the program, and you know we have four hundred thousand students in totality in the state of Nevada, it only affects 1,400 students. But something as simple as that, you're like, that's pixie dust as far as budgetary uh, costs. The legislature pushed push back on it, wanted to default to the uh, statutory regulation of num amount provided to that program. And so as a result, 600 kids were going to lose their scholarships as part of school choice. And so I had to fight tooth and nail, find different funding mechanisms uh, to support that. And it was all the result of the legislature pushing back on it. It's that it's the, the left um, decision and point of context with school choice. They, they don't support it. think it's a, a detriment to um, um, public dollars for private institutions. And if you look at it and understand it and know both sides of it, that's, Absolutely opposite. It's nothing more than an opportunity for our kids to get educated. Your family's used to you being in the spotlight. We have a minute left. How do they like we being We only have there? a minute already? Well, a minute left. Yeah, right. you have lots to say. They're in the spotlight again as yeah. governor. So yeah, for, yeah. In 20 years, Clark County Sheriff, now they're governor. First, fam the first family in Nevada. How are they liking it? Did you say 20 years as the Clark County Sheriff? Is that what you were, 20 no, years? No, I, I was on the department 20? in totality 35 years. 35 years. But I was the sheriff, sheriff for eight years. Okay. I want to make sure you're accurate. I, I was I'll, not. I, 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 I was not. I'll read it. Somewhere. I was not. I was not accurate. <laughs> so how do they like? How how's it been for them? Um, that's a great question. And to be frank with you, it's so so. You know, it, it's on a different level of transparency and public eye uh, as the governor, as compared to the sheriff. And you know, and and it, there's a lot of event-driven schedule 
issues as the governor. And so you, there's a balance on what, what's important for the, to the family to show face and, and, and ensure that uh, they're part of what we're doing here, you know, as the governor and within the state of Nevada and what's important in the family unit. And uh, so it, it's a balancing act. It's still early in it. It's uh, overwhelming, I would say, for the family at this point, but we'll work out the schedule. We'll get it worked out. And the, and, you know, the uniqueness in the state of Nevada, you know, opposite of where you're from, you know, down in the Phoenix is, you know, the largest uh, metropolitan area is obviously Phoenix and right. your, your capital's there, right? Well, it's opposite here in the state of Nevada. So we got Carson City, which, where the state capital is, but the largest metropolitan area is in, in southern Nevada, Clark County, Las Vegas. So it's a balancing. I have to spend time in both places. I enjoy both places. So that's probably the hardest part for them, separation. Governor, we appreciate your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck, thank you. Thanks for making the effort to come out and thank see you. me. Appreciate it. Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Up next with us, David Sinclair, founder and CEO of For Freedom Mobile, a secure mobile service platform that provides secure, unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data worldwide, while preventing tech companies, network operators, and others from tracking users' location, identity, communications, internet activity, payments, and more. Folks, I think you'd be shocked at how much data your phone company is collecting on you and what gets done with it. Uh, so, David Sinclair, welcome to the program. Uh, I, I had a, a great time meeting this guy at Freedom Fest this year in, in Memphis. And, um, you know, he has an, a wealth of knowledge and background experience that both led him to start this company and, and then lends expertise to uh, a number of related issues. So, David, thank you for joining us and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. What made you decide to go start for Freedom Mobile? So I've spent most of the last 30 years living outside the U.S., primarily working in emerging markets. So countries like Russia, Kazakhstan, Saudi Arabia, Myanmar, and other countries like that. Uh, and what I was doing there was implementing large, complex IT projects for um, government agencies, nationally owned companies, that sort of thing, some of which included surveillance systems. So we were implementing systems at large mobile operators to track people through their mobile phones, track their locations, monitor their communications, even enable people to, for example, turn on your phone's microphone when you weren't using your phone and listen into your conversation. Um, yeah. You know, so implementing these types of surveillance projects and these uh, emerging markets, we saw the way that government agencies could utilize this data. 
And when I moved back to the U.S. after spending almost 30 years abroad doing this, I was shocked to discover I'm surveilled more in the U.S. than I ever was when I was living abroad. It's crazy. <laughs> and, and so I, that was when I, I realized, wait a minute, I didn't move back to the land of the free. You know, in the 30 years that I was gone, things have changed. And so I decided that there must be a way to try to stop some of the surveillance. And since I've been implementing it for so long, I began working on technologies to help stop it. How does this compare to other countries? You've been in developing countries. How does the surveillance in the United States compare to other countries, these growing markets you've been in? Um, I would say that there is much less awareness of the level of surveillance in the U.S. than there is in other countries. Interesting. You know, I, I, I will tell you, I had a conversation at um, the uh, uh, CSS, the Consumer Trade Show in Las Vegas, with a woman from Hong Kong. And she flat out said to me, I fully expect that the Chinese government is listening to my conversation through my phone right now with you. And therefore, she didn't want to discuss my topics uh, with me because she was afraid. It, it, yeah, that I think is stunning. And, and something you said a minute ago, David, um, uh, we're talking with David Sinclair, founder and CEO for Freedom Mobile. Uh, I think people don't realize that this is absolutely true. So somebody in government, whether they have a warrant or not, they can access whether it's truly legal or not, they can access your phone, turn on your microphone, turn on your camera, download everything in there right now without you knowing it. It is absolutely technically possible to do that. Um, I've personally seen it done. Um, the, the thing to understand here in the U.S. is there is a law that requires the mobile operators to collect their subscribers' location, identity, keep a record of every phone call they make and receive, keep a copy of every text message they make and receive, uh, you know, track their internet activity, et cetera. Beyond that, the mobile operators have access to an enormous amount of sensors inside your device. And I'll give you one example. There's a, a, effectively a gyroscope inside your phone. So your phone tracks whether it's laying on a table or it's moving horizontally or maybe you're going in an elevator and it's moving vertically, that sort of thing. Using that, they can tell what time did you wake up this morning, <laughs> right? Because this is the first thing most right. people do. Right. We pick up our phone. Right. Sure. Right? So, so, you know, mobile operators know your sleep habits. <laughs> they know that makes who's sense. in your home. Makes sense. I, that's, uh, it, it's really it's stunning. It's incredible the amount of data that they have. Now, it's not just the gathering of this data, for instance, like for some sort of criminal investigation, but one of the things that you touched on when I was talking with you is behavioral manipulation. And the more data someone has, the easier that becomes. But let's talk about what is behavioral manipulation in the digital world? The simplest example of that is manipulating your search results. So back between 2005 and about 2015, Facebook and Google both were running experience, experiments and actually publishing the results to the public in which they showed how by changing people's search results, they could change the actions that those people took. 
they could, you know, change, because what do they do? They show you only certain information and they hide from you other information. That changes the way you think, and as a result, it changes the way you act. And these reports are available on the Internet still to this day. You know, th this is something they proved they could do, and today they do that. How, how much are they doing that today? Because I know there have been a lot of people who have said, you know, that occurred during, for instance, the last election, and then we should expect it during the next one. But how pervasive is this? I mean, even beyond politics, how much does this stretch into other areas of human behavior? So there is a value to the social media companies. I'll give this as, the social media as an example, right? Their business model is the traditional advertising business model. It's driven by eyeballs on ads. Right. So they need to drive engagement. A part of the experiments that they ran in the early 2000s was to see if I show people rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies, they figured out people stop looking at their app and walk away happy. But if they throw in items that play on people's fears, uncertainties, and doubts, those drive a negative emotional response. And guess what? Negative emotional response drives greater engagement. You stay on the app longer. And so while they may show primarily things that you're happy to see and that sort of thing, they also throw in a certain amount of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt in there to keep you engaged, to keep you uh, emotionally engaged in, in what you're looking at and keep eyeballs on the screen. And so, you know, I don't have anything against the social media companies uh, doing this because it's a part of their business model. What people need to recognize, though, is that they are doing this. And, and what have they begun doing really in the last 10 years a lot more is they play a lot more on people's fears, uncertainties, and doubts around topics that have been politicized. And so I believe that a lot of the political fragmentation that we see in our country is driven by the social media companies because they have a commercial vested interest in driving that fragmentation, pitting one group against the other. We're going to be coming back with more in just a moment with uh, David Sinclair, founder and CEO of For Freedom Mobile. Folks, check that out. Uh, I believe, David, it's forfreedommobile.com. Uh, go on there. I, you know, it's a, you need to protect yourself. You need to protect your data. You need to try to limit what some of these foreign and domestic actors have access to because they've proven they're not responsible. Breaking Battlegrounds will be coming back with more in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line with us right now, David Sinclair, founder and CEO for Freedom Mobile. We were talking before we went to the break about all the ways that you can your data can be gathered from you, from your mobile device, from any electronic device, and then talking a little bit about how you know data can be used to manipulate, uh, manipulate behavior. We're seeing that with the social media companies. David, obviously, I think this can and should be concerning to a lot of people. What do folks need to do to start taking better control of their privacy and protect their, their data? You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because there's a, a low awareness amongst people about how their data is collected and used and often used against them. You know, things like banks collecting your data in order to determine what interest rate to give you on a loan. Uh, how risky an investment are you, right? Uh, and most people don't even think about 
the things that they could do. There's even less awareness around what people can do to protect their information. You know, let's start with the simple stuff. You know, most people have heard of the term VPN. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that, well, if I use a VPN, well, then my data is secure. What a VPN does is it encrypts your internet activity. And that's about it. It hides your IP address, right. which is often used to determine your location, but it doesn't do any more than that. Your communications are not secure. Your app usage is not secure. Um, your operating system on your phone is still collecting all this data and sending it back to the people who made your phone. You know, I'll give you a simple example here. The FCC ran a test on iOS and Android phones and discovered that on average an iOS device sends data on you back to Apple 52 times a day. <laughs> and Android device sends data on you back to Google 14 times an hour. Oh, my gosh. That's more than 300 times a day. Oh, my gosh. That's astounding. So it's it, it, it's shocking. It, it really is. You know, and, and Apple has spent, you know, $150, $200 million promoting themselves as Apple equals privacy. I, I honestly don't believe that. I don't either. Apple prevents other apps, maybe, from collecting your data, but Apple is still collecting your data. Apple is all about creating a unique data set. Who is the Apple consumer? Generally, they're, well, they're better off. Right. Generally, they're the kind of people companies want to market to. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and regardless of what they intend to do with your David data, even Apple isn't truly secure from having their that data breached and then, you know, collected by others, Right. Absolutely. Any company that collects any data on you, they're at risk of getting breached. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and frankly, that's a part of the reason why my company, For Freedom Mobile, we don't collect any data on anybody. So people sign up anonymously. All we have is an email address, a phone number, and that's it. And so you know, we don't collect their location. We don't collect their identity. We don't collect their um, communications, Internet activity, et cetera. And we provide them with software applications that they can put onto their phone to help prevent anybody else from being able to collect that data either. Nice. The nice. Other, the other big thing that we do, you know, we started as a software company, just a pure software player, right? Get our apps, put them on your iPhone, get them, put them on your Samsung, Android phone, prevent other people from collecting your data. What we figured out is that the mobile operators themselves, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, are actually some of the biggest collect data collectors there are in the world. Right. You know, and, and by the way, each of those three companies have been fined for selling their subscribers real-time location data in real time. <sighs> Meaning somebody would go out on the internet and pay $19 a month and enter a phone number, and they would be able to track the location of that phone number, that device, 24 by 7, in real time. And, That's and, against the law in the U.S. to sell that, and they've been fined for doing it. They pay the fines. Yeah, I'm not sure if they've actually kept doing. it. No, no, they'll keep doing it because it's just it's it's a rounding error for them. It doesn't no, mean it, anything. It's Michael Jordan's shoe, yeah, right? You yeah. you you pay the fines because you're going to end up making so much more money from what you're doing. Exactly, than we're going to pay the fines. the fines for each NBA games because they'll make more money on the shoe. Absolutely. Yeah. 
David, before we go, we have just one minute left. How do folks, uh, I think I gave the website earlier, but give that and, and tell us a little bit more about how people can get connected before Freedom Mobile. Sure. So, so the website is for Freedom Mobile. That's the number four, freedommobile.com. And, you know, they can go out to the website and learn all about how they're being, uh, how, how they're being tracked, how their data is being collected, how hackers are, are breaking into their phones and stealing their data. And they can also learn about the uh, uh, solutions that we have to help prevent that, including, by the way, helping prevent network operators from being able to track you even. I love that. David Sinclair, thank you so much, folks. Check him out, forfreedommobile.com. We're going to have David on from time to time as we go forward, talk about some of these technical issues, because obviously he has a wealth of experience and knows a lot about what's going on that I think the average person needs to know. Breaking Battlegrounds back with more in just a moment. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to the final segment of Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Warren, and Sam Stone's with me here, and we're going to take this time to talk about just some highlights and issues of the day. We appreciate our two guests we had, David Sinclair of ForFreedomMobile.com, and then um, before that, Sam Chuck, Lombardo, we need to read it. I, go I gotta pay. We gotta pay the bills. Gotta pay the bills. Sam, go ahead and, and talk about and why you know refi. what, folks. If if you want to pay the bills, you've been hearing us talk about why refi a lot. That's because... well, it's important. People are paying seven hundred and five dollars more per month for basic goods. So you've right. got to have your retirement money and something that's going to keep up with inflation. Well, and if you need a way to generate extra income on a monthly basis, this is it. you need to check out our friends at investyrefi.com. That's Amen. invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, because it's true, folks. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There's no fees, no loss of principal if you need your money back. Uh, if you're not sure, you know, look, if you're just unsure in this economy, this is a great, secure, collateralized portfolio that you can earn a fantastic return for yourself. And when you're doing it, you're helping you're helping college students who, who have bad debt from college loans, private student loans that they can't discharge in bankruptcy. They're getting them refinanced. They're getting their lives back on track. And you're making a fantastic return. It doesn't get better than that. Check them out. investyrefi.com or give them a call. 888-YREFI24. Tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. I appreciate the opportunity um, the other day to go down. Kylie and I were uh, interviewing Governor Lombardo of Nevada. We, he was a guest on our show when he was Sheriff Lombardo, candidate for governor. You know, the one thing I took from him, he's a very blunt man. I think he has a clear vision what he wants to do. I get the sense when we were talking about school choice that he understands how to work within the confines of public sector unions mm -hmm. uh, because of you know being over the sheriff, right. one of the largest I mean, sheriff's departments in the country. Right. Yeah. You're dealing with a huge union presence, I, I, multiple unions. I found it interesting. And I've said this for years, so it sort of hit me, hit me hard. I've been saying that the way you take care of the school choice issues, make sure teachers get a great salary. Then they just really don't care. And he said... When I made a comment about that, and he corrected me quickly, he said that the teachers' unions in Clark County are not the problem. It's the legislature. They just simply want higher teacher salary. So he said it's, you know, and they've got almost a supermajority in Nevada 
for the Assembly and State Senate, which is another point. You're going to have some conservatives moaning and groaning about Governor Lombardo's decisions on some things. I think he's taking the Ronald Reagan approach. If I can get 70, 80 percent of something, I'm taking it, right? Well, look, he's dealing with Democrat, oh. big Democrat majorities in his House and his Senate. You don't get, you're not a dictator. No. You're a governor. Exactly. So I think he's doing a great job. It's going to be interesting to watch him. He's the 20th most popular governor in the country. Which is astounding because none of the other swing state governors are that high, except for Yunkin. Yeah, he's just he's just done a good job, and I think people appreciate him in Nevada. I think Nevada has changed a little bit. It's probably more getting more towards center-like, but they've got a... They've got issues out there party-wise, organization, as almost every state has, so there's that. Um, Let's talk about the debate um, in Milwaukee this week. It got 12.8 million viewers, which is darn good. It's a lot. It is. You know, we we keep hearing that the Tucker-Trump thing had 180 million views. Folks, that's a lie. It never had that many. First of all, it's not mathematically possible. Well— so, so I actually saw a really good breakdown on this, and I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to credit Tim Pool of Poolcast, who Thank you. I think is uh, a very, very good analyst on this kind of stuff because he did a nice job. He said, "Look, out of those 180 million impressions, right? Typically, what we see on a video is 20% will watch a few minutes, correct, and then 10% will watch 15, 20 plus minutes, and a much smaller number will actually get to the end. So, if you watch every every internet video." viewership starts out much higher and then drops off pretty quickly and so, you have kind all right, of so let's go so what, let's go end. those numbers real quick so 200 million let's say it's 200 million 200 people. million okay let's so say so 40 million saw at least a couple of minutes of that video okay and then how many saw less than that so so uh, 160 million so you, who just scrolled by it on so Twitter. how do tv ratings have 12 points? So basically long story short folks more people watch the debate in whole, in totality, than they ever watch the Tucker-Trump debate. But more individual eyeballs touched, at least for a few minutes, the Trump thing. Yeah, but that's just, it's nothing. But I, look, I, but I, I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to dismiss it, but people are smoking, again, Hunter Biden crack pipe, if they think that there's actually 200 million people watch that whole interview. Oh, no, that's not it the did, case. It didn't get close. No. So you probably had 5 million, 6 million watch it in its entirety. Probably less who actually made it to the end, yeah, so, based on the numbers. So, again, impressive numbers for Trump. Trump did a great strategy. It's the same strategy that Biden used in 2020. You know, that he's he's a clear front runner. Um, I think the indictments are going to, you know, look, I think it's very hard for him to lose the nomination right now. I thought he made the absolute right decision in not going into that room. He made a politically right decision. Politically right decision. I would add, though, that, I actually thought it was a good decision for the country because it changed that debate entirely. And it became a much more open, free-flowing debate. And one of the things I really like, Chuck, is you had a range of opinions and ideas on that stage. Yes, yes. I mean, for example, I thought Nikki Haley was the best one. If you're just basing on her performance. I mean, you don't have to agree with her issues or anything. I just think she was the best performing one. Um, I thought she performed very well. Yeah, she did. Um, she performed well. I, Vivek has lots of energy, and I think, I, I, look, if I was going to, if you and I are going to Vegas tonight, saying put down who's the VP for Trump nominee, I think it's Vivek. I, I would agree with that. I think, you know what? What, what I like about Vivek, he's young and inexperienced. He'll say some things sometimes that aren't, you know, don't make much sense or that are kind of wacky. But he's also talking about a vast range of issues all the time. 
And I don't expect somebody to know everything about everything. Oh, no. I mean, you know, it's funny. The press has been trying to attack him on various issues. Boy, they do not hold Biden to the same accountability for the wackadoodle things he says. No, and and one of the things I kind of like about Ramaswamy, but that is a weakness in this sort of media environment, is that he very carefully chooses words. Mm -hmm. So, like, for instance, when he said the climate change agenda is a hoax. Right. You know, climate change, he's the not, agenda. Right. The agenda. He's actually very specifically not saying climate change is a hoax. He's saying the agenda behind it is a hoax. And most liberals are too stupid to pick that up. Almost nobody seems to is, pick which, that up. Which is sad. Um, I think he did well. Um, look, um, Asa, who's been a guest on a show and a friend of the show, he should not be in this. I, I love the North Dakota's governor. The North Dakota governor is dedicated to federalism. That's the one thing I really took from the debate. I, I agree. And I yep. sort of, and you and I have talked about this. I, I think that's really an alternative, truly federalism in our country versus what we're heading towards. You and I have discussed this, and I think he's right about it. I think he's 100% right about it. And, and I think that was something, if you looked up there, the governors, um, including DeSantis— have a very different kind of outlook than the people who are not governors, because I think they've dealt with this federal overreach mm-hmm. in a very personal way, right? And that includes, to some degree, Chris Christie, who I was very impressed with his performance. Well, he's, he's just, you know, look, Chris Christie's very good, and, you know, the right just, you know, because he's gone and turned on Trump. Uh, he's got know, a very low rating, you know, but, but, high negatives. But would there be a better AG in this country than Chris Christie? I, I tell you what, he'd be a good AG. And you know what I like? And, and look, folks, I'm an old school Easterner in this sense. I like that he's a brawler and he doesn't have a glass jaw. The chat GPT comment was just incredible. You know what the best part about that was? Ramaswamy had a better comeback, but Kirsty delivered his line so well that no one even knows Ram, Ramaswamy hit him back. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. So um, let's talk briefly about how bad the Biden administration, example 5,428. And today we've got... Is, is that all? I thought it was much more than that. Chuck. So based on Bloomberg, U.S. in talks with Venezuela over sanctions relief and return for fair elections. So basically, energy expert Phil Flynn explains, the hope is lifting the sanctions on Venezuela will be better able to export that now coveted heavy blend of dirty oil that is so good in yielding diesel that is globally undersupplied. Basically, we're making deals with Venezuela, a country that has absolutely been a monster on human rights. Comparable to Iran. Yeah, well, worse in in its recent history is is as bad as any place on the planet. But we're not going to go to Alaska, Texas, or Oklahoma. Let's go to Venezuela. It reminded me, Sam, when you and I worked on a sugar project years ago in Florida. And the environmentalists did not, they wanted to get rid of all the sugar. Right, all the sugar farming in, in Florida. In, in Florida. And we say, where do you get? Well, Mexico. Well, does, I remember us asking, well, don't they have the same pollution? Well, yeah, but it's in Mexico. <laughs> I, I just sort of feel this is their talking point, right? It's just like they're really not concerned about it. Let's talk about mortgage rates. <laughs> so when Trump left office, mortgage rates were 2.9%. Today, they're 7.1%. That, the higher mortgage rates are going to cost people about $32,000 more or $900 per month. You know what I was seeing? Um, two things to that point that I, I found interesting and troubling. Um, well, one's troubling. I think the other's actually a great thing. The housing sales right now, the vast majority of housing sales right now, are people who are being paid in cash. So whether it's those BlackRock, Vanguard, big companies, or it's people who are wealthy enough to just pay cash, the houses that are being sold are, are only the ones that basically people can buy for cash. 
Right. Um, and two, and I, and I think that's a really bad thing. That's sh- that speaks to a huge distortion in a market for first-time home buyers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a really good thing is a new development that people are finally realizing that you don't have to sell your house um, with a mortgage financed by a bank. That you can sell your house to somebody, issue a mortgage yourself. And as the homeowner, you can make the interest off it. Well, you're going to see a lot of stuff like that. Michelle Eugenti was telling me conversation that she feels we're getting to the point on home ownership because of the cost as well. That you're going to see a sort of a European style where you just like, I'm just handing it down to my kids. Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah, you know, and that's. Uh, Here's one thing in that vein. I, mean, I don't want to live with my family. Do you? No. <laughs> I no, do. I, I kind of don't. Um, One of the things we're seeing here, like people don't realize if you haven't really traveled outside the United States, but the size of every living space in the United States is so much vastly larger. Like you go, the bathrooms in European and Asian countries are tiny. The bedrooms are tiny. Yeah, but they're used to it. They're used to style. We're not. Remember when we were working in a campaign in Florida down in Miami-Dade and the campaign manager we were driving, if you remember this, and he said he had worked at Publix and Publix lets employees take part of equity. So he sold out his position, had enough money to buy a home. So he was living with his mom and some other relatives. Mm -hmm. So I said, being a gringo, I said, are you excited to go and live on your own with his upcoming wife? He goes, well, no, my mom's going to live with me too. So there's certain cultures just used to it. I think this would be a big adjustment for gringos. I think it's a huge adjustment for the gringos, for all of us. Um, And and not only to the crowding, but to, frankly, the time has come for U.S. housing spaces to shrink. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, Vivek raised four hundred fifty grand the night of the Republic after the Republican debates. Small this donors. Is an excellent haul. Yeah. No, it's a good haul. Um, one more thing. Let's talk to Bloomberg here. So the outlook for the federal budget right now is essentially unprecedented. Crisis-sized deficits, as far as the eye can see, even through, even though the economy appears to be in good health, that prospect is making investors uneasy. As demonstrated by yields on benchmark ten-year Treasuries climbed to four point three percent this week the highest since 2007. Investors worry that sustained fiscal shortfalls on the scale projected by the CBO could push rates higher, which only puts more pressure on public finances by adding to the government's ballooning interest bills. Concerns intensified this month after a one-two punch. Treasury ramped up debt issuance, heralding a supply deluge that likely will last several quarters, and Fitch ratings unexpectedly downgraded America's sovereign credit rating. Folks, if we don't take care of this, you are going to pay the price. This isn't this isn't monopoly money. You're going to see it in higher interest rates, higher inflation. Your your paycheck's going to be hit, and they're going to come after more taxes. You're going to we just can't do everything. And it's going to get a lot worse because we're going to lose reserve currency status, and that's coming. You know, BRICS, which is the alternative now to the, sort of the Western alliance built around the dollar, um, Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China. They just added six new members. Right. Saudi Arabia, UAE, Iran, among six countries invited to join BRICS. Um, You know, so they've also invited Ethiopia and Argentina, have them. Those are train wrecks. But Well, Ethiopia, though, the problem is Ethiopia has a huge reserve of rare earth minerals. Yes, they do. And that's why they added them. Yep, yep. It's it's basically become an anti-Western bloc. Right. Folks, we, we appreciate it. We hope you join us for our podcast portion. We're having Rachel Walden on to discuss school boards and resource officers of Mesa. They've made some changes there, and she'll also discuss why school boards are important. If you want to get involved, 
Show up at the minimum to your school board meetings. If not, run for school board. Ra- Rachel's the only Republican on the Mesa Public Schools Board, and it's made a huge difference. Make sure you download and tune in and hear about it. Breakingbattlegrounds.vote. We'll talk to you next week. The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from godaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to the podcast segment of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Uh, Chuck, a story you and I both uh, glommed onto in the Arizona Republic came out very recently, showed Mesa Public Schools finally will be adding a school resource officer for every single school in the school district. And that's something I know parents and others have been fighting for for quite a while. But one of the changes that instantly jumped to my mind and frankly, it's been tough. We've had a tough time getting resource officers into all those schools. We've gotten pushback from some of the schools, school leaders, some of the, the school boards, just like we have with Phoenix Union, Tempe, the Tucson school districts, Flagstaff, some of the others that have trended more liberal. But there was a change last election cycle on the Mesa Public School Board. And we now have school board member Rachel Walden on the line with us. Rachel is a Republican she was, as, as I understand it, Rachel, the only Republican elected to that school board. Correct. Yeah, in 2022. Yep. And so I, I, I really felt like when I saw that story, I said, you know, that's the impact a single school board member can have. That if conservatives go out and get people on these boards. Well, one thing people don't understand is if you really want to change public education, elect a new school board. I mean, I, I think everybody thinks the legislature and the governor control that, but the you know the rubber meets the road at the school board. Is that right, Rachel? Yes, it does. The school board has a, a lot of authority. They d- direct the entire tone of the district. They oversee the superintendent, so they can oversee the goals of the district, the priorities of the district, and they call the shots on what the agenda is every meeting. And, and your role when you came in there, I, I know you've been, you know, you're working, frankly, everything I've heard is you're working very well with your colleagues, but it's very different when someone like you is in that room and on that board and, and when they're not, right? Yes, I think I'm the most outspoken board member. A lot of the past meetings, there wasn't much discussion. It felt like the board was a rubber stamp, and people were surprised to know that the board didn't ever meet outside of those meetings because there was so little discussion so few questions would be asked in those meetings. How many people do you think they're they're just viewing? I, I see this on the left more than the right, and, and maybe that's just part of the focus we need to redo. But a lot of folks on the left seem to just be using these as their first step up the political ladder, and it's not really about the kids. I think that we've seen that in school boards. A lot of people that ran for school boards for Mesa were asked to run. It was almost like a community service where people were tapping in and saying, well, we want to make sure these projects get through and keep the status quo, and they'd ask certain people to run. And then on the flip side, too, you do have the people that run as a 
political stepping stone. And we've seen that with a lot of our elected officials where they often start at school board. At the same time, someone like myself has gotten to the school board and then realized that I'm I'm good at government. I have a knack for government. And then there may be other opportunities that come from that, too. And, And I think you're earning those opportunities. But one of the differences is you didn't run to start your way up the political ladder. People have been reaching out because you're effective. And Correct. like, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I didn't, I had no political ambition whatsoever when I ran. I was still a stay at home mom. I had left my career and it was all about trying to save the rising generation. It still is. That will always be priority one for me. Rachel, do you feel there's a more important office that people should get involved in, parents should get involved in the school board? A more important office? Yeah. No, I mean, school board is, is everything. That's where if, if you've got kids in the district, if you're concerned about the future of this country, then you absolutely should be involved in school board. It is for everybody. We need every voice speaking out about this because the boards right now, like across the state, across the country, are not focused on academic achievement. Do you feel that there's outside groups on the left, like teachers unions, that are really that really go and push to get people to run for school boards here in Arizona? Oh, absolutely. The teacher union is very organized. We had 45 speakers at our last meeting, 45 people sign up for public comment. We haven't seen that since the school shutdown. And they were all there to just parrot the same talking point. They were teacher unions. They were wearing their matching shirts. They definitely have their own agenda. They definitely have their own people they want to run. You know, one of the things, so school resource officers, obviously school safety has become a really big issue, right? But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and obviously I think it's a great thing to have a, an officer there who can help protect the students, but they play a much bigger role than that too, right? I mean, this isn't just about stopping a school shooting. Yes, yes. They're often involved in somebody uh, bringing a weapon to school into vaping, into drugs, into overall discipline where they get called in to, to help with, with those issues. And discipline is actually, if you if you look at, real surveys of teachers, Chuck, classroom discipline and the ability to maintain order in their classroom is at least as important as salary when it comes to the conditions that are driving teachers out of schools. That's completely true. How completely many, true. Rachel, how many, I mean, how, you know, I obviously I'm not asking for straight numbers, but how much does that resource officer change the environment in a school when they're there? Overall, everybody feels better knowing that there is that authority there. And that, that comes from parents that have requested it, people in the community that go, this just makes sense that we have somebody on there with, you know, that authority to to help provide safety. And the teachers like it. The, the principals have requested it. The elementary schools even would like to have school resource officers. We have them in all the junior highs and high schools, but the elementary schools want it too. I mean, we have issues where kids are suspended from school, for example. They still show up at campus. So who's going who's gonna to remove that student from campus, right? We need SROs. How, when the vote for this to expand them to all the schools came down, was there a lot of opposition? Did you have a bunch of people speaking against it? No, not at all. I don't Good. think anybody spoke out against it. That's, I, honestly, I'm surprised to hear that, and I think that's fantastic. 
Um, yeah, well, because the I think part of it is the whole agenda of, of, of the left to, to try to make guns a big focus of even though there's way more problems than that. So they kind of can't speak out against it because it goes against the left narrative. I, I Well, I mean, frankly, I'm glad to hear that they're starting to take this more seriously because every time we had this when I was with the city of Phoenix, uh, every time there was a request or a push to get more SROs into the Phoenix Union schools, uh, it was, you know, we don't feel safe having somebody with a gun on campus. And this is, you know, these officers are hunting our children kind of thing. I'm glad to hear that didn't come up. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot more stronger voice in Mesa from the community that, that does feel safer. I agree with you. I, I think if we got some of the teacher union people on, they would voice that that same concern. But they're a minority in Mesa. How much How much has your being on that board shifted you know, shifted the school district back to a focus on educational basics? Well, I think it's helped quite a bit because my being on the board has helped a lot of parents get involved and come to the meeting because I feel like there's somebody that represents them. So I hear that all the time from the community. They're more engaged now in what the board is doing. So this time when we did our board goals, they were completely academically focused. That's the first time that's happened. Usually they have other goals in there, maybe something about social emotional learning or counseling or but every every single topic was just graduation rates, proficiency, student outcomes, and I felt like that was a big win for us because it was it was very new to only have those goals. That's a big deal, Chuck. I mean, it's just a, it's a huge deal, and people just need to make it part of their daily life to go to these school boards. You can't have teachers' unions showing forty people up, and we've got to get more Rachels on these school boards who are going to focus on what education is supposed to be—the basics: reading, writing, math. Rachel, we, we, we do kind of a short segment for the podcast here. We're going to wrap up in just a moment. But how do folks stay up with, with the work you're doing at MPS? And then uh, I know you are eyeballing a run at the Corporation Commission and keep you know, planning to keep that school board seat, which you can do. And I think that'd be great. We need great people on the, on the Corpcom also. But tell folks how they stay in touch with you and your work. So you can follow me online. My handle's at Walden Patriot, and and I post what's going on with the school boards and upcoming meetings. And then just put it in your calendar, right? Everybody's got a smartphone now. Put second Tuesday and second Thursday of the month at 630. It, it doesn't change except the fall break. That's the only time. And And just make it a point to go even just once a month. The last meeting of the month, which is the fourth Tuesday, that's open comment. So you, you don't have to know what's going on. You can just come and comment of, of what you think is important or what you want to see in the schools. Love it. Thank you so much, Rachel Walden, uh, member of the Mesa Public School District Board. Uh, really appreciate having you on there and love, love hearing good news about schools, Chuck, because we don't get that enough anymore. We do not. Thank you, Rachel. We hope you have a great day. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, that was really good, Chuck. I, I like that. Um, you know, We don't put enough focus on school boards on our side of the aisle. Democrats are so organized from the very, well, very base up. We have talked, you and I have talked many times. There's three um, areas of influence in the United States that conservatives have simply ignored. 
okay? One is universities. And I think it's going to take a while, but but that's going to take a while. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can go and get more of the wealthy donors say, I'm going to endow this chair of economics. I mean, you can change that. It's not going to be rapid, but you can really start making a difference on yep. that. Because at the end of the day... <laughs> Universities are just money horse, and if you go into the million dollar check, they're gonna let you do what you want. And it's it's a simple reality. And I explain this to conservatives all the time. They complain about so and so chair. I go, universities are money horse. They are simply going to go and take the check. Well, and that's what I liked about the, Tom Lewis's move, following all yeah. the stuff with Ann Atkinson yeah. that we've been talking about, and the suppression of free speech at ASU, pulling his money out and walking away from them. I think more donors need to use that power, that lever. Yeah, I agree. Um, the second one's journalism. We need to start setting up scholarships, pushing um, creative and thoughtful conservative college students to get into journalism. But it can't be the journalism where you just go, I'm going to work at the Daily Wire or National Review, right? You got you to gotta go work at the Daily Papers. You got to go work at Arizona Republic, Las Vegas Review Journal. You got to go look at because your because, local broadcast nightly right, news. Because that is where, well, even more so than that, the newspapers, only 6% based on polling get their news on candidates and things from the newspaper. But 25, 26% get it from their local news. Well, where's the local news get it from? From the newspaper. Yeah, so yeah. it really is 30%. So we really have got to get involved in that. And again, you and I have discussed this. I'm not looking for slanted news. I just want both sides put into it. You Which know, you, you don't find in almost any publication. No, 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 they don't. And then the third item is public schools. We've talked about this. Teachers unions are truly one of the greatest threats to our country. I, I, I believe that, and frankly, the test results prove that. Now, there is a role for parents. They're not doing their job. There's lots of things. But teachers unions are in for one thing. They're a union representing teachers. They, If you think they, the kids are the first priority, then you are smoking Hunter Biden's crack pipe because this is just not reality. And how do you solve this? People think, well, Ducey go and gave a 20% raise in the legislature to teacher salaries. We both know those teachers do not get a 20% salary because no, it goes no, elsewhere. They, they got like 8, 9, 10%. Right. So if you want to affect change and it's easy, go run for school board and win. Yeah. I mean, just look what Rachel's done there. And she's still in the minority, but there's one reasonable voice there that brings people. And then you have to show up. Teachers unions continually pack these meetings with public comments. It's a charade. Everybody should know it, but you need to show up and counter it. Yep, absolutely so. you do. Folks, if you enjoy this, make sure you share it with friends. Get on our subscriber list so you get our, our content in your email box every single week. And be sure to tune in again next week. For Chuck, this is Sam. We're back next week.